Good to see you here tonight to worship the Lord. I want you, if you would, we're going to get back to our study in uh, 1 Peter. So you can turn to chapter 4. We took off last week because we had our sort of brought uh, our time of prayer and fasting to a close on Wednesday night. I pray that you continue to pray and fast as God would lead you to. Certainly to pray and certainly to fast as God would lead you to uh, as well. I think we're to grow in that. Amen? I just think we're to grow. I think that was just like a little... A taste of that. We've had a few of those, I think, back around Thanksgiving or sometime in the fall we had done that before. And I believe the Lord will just lead us to do that periodically. But uh, it's a wonderful time, that time of prayer and fasting. But I want you, if you would, this is a very familiar passage of Scripture. We could all say amen. We can all lay hold on it. We've all heard it before. We've heard sermons on it before. But we're going to hear it again tonight because the Lord knows that we need it. Amen? So Peter is speaking to a group of believers that are scattered abroad. He's speaking to a group of believers that are being persecuted. And he says right here, and we've talk, he's talked a lot about it, I think the word suffering or sufferings in some form in this little epistle of five chapters is used 21 times. Okay? And 21 times in just a few chapters. And he's going to say it here again. And let's look at verse 12. We'll read through verse 14. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, He is evil spoken of, but on your part, He is glorified. A couple of things, themes keep coming out over and over in this epistle as that if we're reproached for Jesus' sake, for Christ's sake, that is the key to it. That we're not to suffer as an evildoer. The world does that. Well, we did that before we were saved. We might have done it since we've been saved. There's no glory to God in that. Okay, There's no joy that comes in that at all. I'm suffering, I, got, I did something wrong, I got caught, and now I'm suffering for it. But that's not me bearing my cross, okay? That's not sharing in the sufferings of Christ. That is, brings a shame to the Lord. Now, we can certainly be forgiven and bring us out. And we've all done that before since we've been saved. But keep that in mind that, uh, you know, I remember going to the prison, and I love the prison, and I love the prisoners, and I'm not belittling. I'm simply saying sometimes some of the guys that didn't have a right understanding would say they may have been caught for rape, you know, or armed robbery or something, and they're serving life in Angola, saying they're bearing their cross for the Lord. That's not what's taking place, okay? They're in there because they committed a crime and got caught. Now, there might be some other cross of the Lord that they would bear if they would identify with the Lord in His suffering and commit themselves fully to Him. But he says to rejoice. And we're, so we're told that sufferings and rejoice. Suffering for the Lord's sake, rejoice. And that through it, God's going to be glorified. If we keep that in mind and walk through it with faith, we walk through it with the right attitude in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to keep your spot there, but I also want you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. Now, I just want us to remember, this is Peter that wrote this epistle late, much later in his life. After the Lord um, crucified, you know, and, and was buried and rose again and ascended. And so this what we're going to look at is an encounter that Jesus had with Peter 
before the cross and, and what changes have taken place in the man's life between what we're going to read in Matthew 16 and what the Holy Spirit is writing through him in 1 Peter chapter 4. So let's look at Matthew 16, 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto His disciples how that He must go unto Jerusalem and suffer, there's a word again, suffer that we're talking about, many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. The cross we know was not an afterthought and it wasn't even an afterthought to the disciples though they were sort of blinded to the truth. Jesus told them about it several times. Okay? Several times very clearly and here's one of the times. And, and Peter took him. So Peter, the uh, disciple of the Lord, takes Jesus and begins to rebuke Him. Can you imagine? He takes the Lord and begins to rebuke the Lord. Saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those things that be of men. I'm sure that Peter was thinking, Lord, you're the king of Israel. You're the promised Messiah. You are the Son of God. He believed it. He confessed it just two verses before this. He professed out of his mouth, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Lord commends him and says, The Holy Ghost showed this to you. This is a true confession. And I'm going to build my church upon that confession that you just made, Peter. But then he gets here and he, he's saying, You're not going to suffer. You're the King. You're the Lord. You're our Messiah. You're the King of Israel. The promised one that should come. And so here we see, and you can turn back to to 1 Peter 4, and what is he saying? So he would have thought at that point when Jesus said that, and the Lord set him straight, okay? The Lord set him straight, and He'll set us straight too. But He said, uh, this is not going to happen to you. But then what does He say all these years later when He's writing this epistle, and the Lord has already told him. He said, Peter, when you were young, you'd, you'd go where you you'd put your clothes on, go wherever you wanted to go. When you're old, somebody's going to lead you and, and take you someplace you don't want to go. And he said, this was signifying what death Peter would die that would glorify the Lord. So it was specifically talking about how Peter would be martyred. He's foretelling him about it. Well, here later in his life, he's telling the believers, don't think it's strange. Well, he would have thought it's strange in Matthew 16 for Jesus to suffer for righteousness' sake. But here He's saying, I've learned, I understand. Right? Beloved, He loves and There's a tenderness to Peter as well. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened. And so, He might have thought it strange before, but now He, he can't imagine anything else that it could be any other way. This is the way the Lord has determined. This is the way that the Lord has purposed for His people. But you know, it does seem strange when you think about it. Have you ever thought about it? That that the, the people that are most ungodly are seem to be going through life you know, just with everything going their way. And the people that live most godly and are really serving the Lord, really know Him, seem to be getting like the things dumped upon them to different degrees. We've all thought it before. The psalmist said, I think it's Psalm 72 or 73, that he, he, uh, his feet almost slipped is the way he put it. He said, I've served the Lord for nothing. 
He says, I look at the wicked and they just prosper. There's no bands and there's death. There's no everything just is great. And I chastise myself and I keep myself from this sin. And I go into the temple and I serve God and I fear God and I do what's right. And he said it was too painful for me. I just couldn't take it anymore. The wicked men are being blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed. Guess what? He thought it strange, right? He thought it strange that a righteous man would suffer in this world. And if seemingly that the wicked man who doesn't fear God, doesn't know God, maybe even blaspheme God, is going through life and everything he touches turns to gold and everything's just wonderful. I'm certainly paraphrasing that psalm. But he came to himself. It says, until I went into the temple and the Lord showed me their end. And he goes, how foolish I was. I was like a brutish beast of a man. He says, don't be envious of the wicked. God showed him. Because God showed him their end. Showed the end of the righteous, which would be Asaph was a righteous man. And where he was going to end up. And he showed him the end of the wicked that were real people that he saw with his eyes that prospered in their rebellion and cursing and and taking advantage of the righteous people and, and slandering them and gossiping them. The Lord showed him there. He went to the temple and prayed. And God showed him their end. He says, I was foolish. And he asked God to forgive him. Okay? And to me, it's the same type of thought that we see uh, some of the sweetest or noblest Christians on the planet, and they're suffering from cancer, or they're subject to poverty. You understand what I'm saying? We're saying, why, why should it be this way? And that's just us thinking in our carnality. I've done it before. Um, people that are living for God and are misunderstood. You ever been misunderstood? I'm talking about specifically for your Christianity, your walk with the Lord. I know that you have. That's hurt for, hurtful, isn't it? That's hurtful. You don't get it. You don't understand. I mean, you don't understand why... It would be this way. And so, um, you know, Nero, for his entertainment, would throw, and he wasn't the only Roman Caesar, but he was one that's notable, would, would cast the Christians, simply nameless Christians, right? Known to God and to heaven, but nameless Christians. We know Nero's name. We don't know their names. But he would cast them to the lions for the entertainment of the people. You're like, this is messed up. This is not the way it should be. Nero ought to be cast to the lions. But he wasn't. Nero literally planted them in his garden, living Christians, and set them on fire to light up his garden. Human beings. Christian human beings. He set them on fire to light up uh, his garden. And so, we would think it's strange until we really come to see, and this is what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at some things that, that we see it's not strange. Some considerations from the Word of God to look at. There's like six of them we're going to look at that, that show us, you know, it's not strange, and here's why. Here's another reason it's not strange. Here's another way, reason it's God's way. All right? And so if you're taking notes, these are good notes to take, at least the main, <laughs> the main points. But uh, I haven't got to the first one yet, but. Uh, it's strange also that the progress of Christianity, when you look at the history of Christianity, if, if not an expert, just in the Bible days and then uh, notable times in the world's history of Christianity, the progress of the church has always been marked by a little thin trail of blood. It has been. 
the progress of it, the growth of it, it does not typically come through the times of blessings, although we thank God for blessings and He's kind and He does bless us. Alright? But the growth of the church, the progress of the church, come with, comes come with a trail of blood behind it. Whether those that are being cast to the lion's den or those during the Spanish Inquisition or whatever it may be, uh, time of Fox's Book of Martyrs and so forth. The Bible says, yea, 2 Timothy 3, uh, 12. You don't have to turn there. Yes, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So it's not strange. Because you know what? There's lots of verses like that. Lots and lots of them. But if you go to a prosperity type of church, you don't want, they're not going to tell you that. And you're not going to hear that. Because they want you to leave happy. Just happy. Well, we want to leave happy too, but we want to be something God imparts to our life, a real joy that's abiding. I want to be happy too. And guess what? I believe God wants us to be happy. But He wants to be happy in the truth. He wants to be ha- us to be happy not in a, something we keep pumping ourselves up and living in a cloud that's not true and not true of Christ or His followers. Okay? We want to walk in the truth. And so, uh, here's something that will help us understand it's not strange. Number one, this world is not our home. This world is in rebellion to God, right? The whole world lies in the embrace of the wicked one. The whole world. So that's just a snapshot or picture. We don't have to get into a whole bunch of details. The Bible says the whole world lies in the embrace of the wicked one. There's none good. No, not one. There's none that seek after God. Well, that's a picture of humanity. That's a picture of the sea of humanity of people since Adam in the garden till now and as long as it'll be until the Lord sets up His kingdom on this earth. And so the world's in rebellion or revolt against the Lord. And, you know, just like um, they've chosen other gods. Just like Israel when they the promised land, they made a choice to serve these gods of the these nations they didn't know and gods that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob didn't serve. And, and they, they've chosen what the, what the Bible calls Satan as the prince of the world or the God of this world. And it seems like, you know, in David's day, who was the rightful king? The rightful king that God chose was David. But for many years, David was the one running and hiding out in caves. And you're saying this doesn't seem right. He's the one that God chose. He, you know, he killed Goliath. He was the hero of Israel. He's the one that a man after God's heart and so forth. The, the, the psalmist who loves the Lord and is humble. And here's Saul in his pride and arrogance. And he's reigning on the throne for many, many years. And David's running. That's what seems strange. It doesn't seem like it's right. But I can promise you God has a purpose in it all. Which we're going to get to that as we go. And so we wonder... Why does it have to be this way that actually the righteous people not only suffer, but we suffer at the hands many times of wicked, godless people? They got the upper hand on us, it seems like. It seems like they're getting the better of us. They're calling the shots. That's what it seems like, just to the natural eye looking at it. They, they're passing laws that make it illegal to do this in China. And if you break that law, you're thrown in prison. They're the ones serving God, hiding out. You know, smuggling the Bibles in, trying to serve God, and they're getting beat and thrown in prison 
and killed and separated from their children and their wives and so forth. And you see, it's over and over. It's happening all the time. And we say, this shouldn't be this way. But it's not strange because this world is not our home. This whole world is in rebellion to God. So it's not strange. The second thing that makes it not strange when we consider it, this is the way our Master went. This is the way the Lord went. Right? Think about it. And I was studying. I thought this was a good point. From the time He was born, the time our Savior was born, Herod was trying to kill Him. Right? I mean, as an infant, just an infant, couldn't even speak. He's a little baby in a crib. And at the report of the wise men, Herod is trying to kill Him. I mean, this is the way He came into the world. As a little innocent babe, the Lamb was going to take away the sins of the world. From that time all the way to the last moment of His life with the cruel thorn, a crown of thorns upon His head, being mocked and spat upon, He was... He was silent before his, like a lamb, you know, dumb before his shears. He opened not his mouth. He was taken from judgment and so forth. And his, his brethren came to get, that he came to gather together, he said, and wept over Jerusalem not long before the cross. And he looked over the city and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you together like a hen gathers her little chicks under her wings, and you would not. He was rejected, despised and rejected of men. And so this is the path Jesus took. He took a path of suffering at the hands of wicked men, the righteous suffering at the hands of wicked men, right? You know, we know he, and it all had a glorious plan of redemption, redemption that He completed. But they, they wounded Him. His, his friends, those of His own house, betrayed Him. And they wounded Him unto death on the cross. And he endured the contradiction of sinners against himself, right? And we're taught, we're told in Hebrews uh, that to be like that in the sense in Hebrews chapter twelve, to to endure that contradiction of sinners, he did it against himself. It's not for us to choose a pathway that's easier than his. This is how he's planted. This is the way Jesus went. We take up our cross and we follow him. Even though He's at the right hand of the Father, He's within our hearts in the Holy Spirit. Christ is still among us, right? And in our hearts. He's a very present help in trouble. And if we're going to follow Jesus, that path is going to lead through sufferings. It's going to. And so we can't choose a path that would be easier or happier than He would have. Or else it may almost seem like we're not bearing His name at all. Okay? And we want to bear His name. Third thing um, that makes the sufferings thinking not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. This is the way home. Amen? This is the way home. We got a pathway, we got a road map, we have a journey that we're going on. We're not confused, we're not meandering around through this life. Uh, you know, like the emergent church people or new age people, and you know, so many things they can't answer, they have more questions than answers. And they're really proud of that because they're so open-minded. I'm thankful that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. And it's not confusing. He says, here's the way. Walk ye in it. He makes it real simple. We make it confusing because we don't want to walk in that way. 
So we make it confusing and act really wise and worldly wise and come and follow me and I'm mystical and I'm spiritual. And, and the emergent church grows out of things like that. Why? Because people don't want to walk in this way. They don't want to be subject unto His authority. They don't want a life of suffering. Okay? And so, but this is the way home. You know, when the prophet Samuel took Saul, King Saul, he was a young man and he was little in his own eyes. We know the story. When he wasn't king, okay? And he took him and he prophesied to him. The Lord says, that's the one I'm choosing to be king, okay? And he goes to Saul and he has this meeting with him and he anoints him, kind of in a private little ceremony. He anoints him to be king and he says, and I, don't, I don't, won't get it all perfectly right, but he began to prophesy to Saul because Saul's like in shock. He's just like, what are you talking about? I'm just this little guy. He wasn't little, but I mean, this little guy in, in uh, the tribe of Benjamin in Israel. Who am I? You know, he had a really good start. That humility was a good thing. Okay? That, you know, you're telling me I'm going to be the king of Israel. He almost didn't want to tell anybody. It was like... Uh, he just didn't know what to think of it. He was kind of almost in shock. And Samuel says, when you go home today, you're going to meet some men along the way and they're going to say, we found those donkeys you and your servants have been out looking for. for. Okay, then you go a little further. You're going to meet some guys with two loaves of bread and this and that, and they're going to greet you and hail you uh, in a certain way. Then you're going to meet some prophets and you're going to prophesy with them. I mean, just these things that are very specific and unusual. And so he now Saul leaves him, and he's probably just like in a, in a funk, you know. And he's, he's walking, and some, he meets some guys that say, "Those donkeys you've been looking for, we found. Your dad's worried about you now. Here's the donkeys. Get on home, okay?" Then he meets some other guys with the loaves of bread, and they hail and greet him in a certain. Everything happened. Even prophesied with the prophets of God, and every one of those things being fulfilled must have encouraged young Saul saying, wow, this, this is real. This is real. And that's really, Samuel really is a prophet. He's speaking on behalf of God. And so the next thing I really must be going, I'm going to be the king of, of Israel. You understand that each of those things strengthened him and believe in that. Well, same as we walk through this life. If the Lord says that we're going to suffer for His name's sake, and blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And rejoice, okay? For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Paul says in Philippians 1, uh, on, on, to you it's given on the behalf of Christ not only to reign with Him, but also to suffer for His name's sake. And so we're told these things, and it would, we would be strange not to suffer for the Lord. So we're going through life and we suffer uh, ridicule. We share the gospel with a group of friends and they laugh at us. And now they don't call us anymore and they don't want to hang out with us anymore. It hurts because we're human beings. But at the same time, there's an encouragement that comes because it's just like with Saul. Samuel telling Saul, this is, this is how it's going to be. This is the way home. You're on the right track. Okay, so these these things that happen to us, uh, like that suffering and persecution, they help to build our faith, actually, to let us know we're on the right path. The Lord's word is true. He's bringing us home. 
And this is the way home. This is the way he's chosen for it to be. And so um, it just reminds us, amen, that we're, we're on the way. If, if we were loved everywhere we went, there would be a problem. There would be a problem. If you were universally loved by everybody, the most wicked person, the most vile person, the most godless person, the most carnal person, and we were just embraced and loved and hailed as the best thing in the world, then there would be a problem. People might truly begin to question whether we're really on the right track. We might begin to question ourselves. Am I really on the right track to, to heaven and to be home with the Lord? Let's look at a scripture real quick. And we'll, we'll turn back to 1 Peter 4, but turn to John 15. There are many scriptures we could choose from for this particular point. But the Lord's with His disciples. And this is the last occasion He's with His disciples other than the garden before the cross. John 15, verse 18 and 19. If the world hate you, you know that it hated Me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. They hadn't faced any of that yet. He hadn't even gone to the cross yet. Okay? He was hated. It was really all coming upon him, upon the Lord. Okay? But he says, For as he is, so are we in this world. And then after he goes and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and we go out in His name and we're ambassadors for Christ and we're salt and light of the earth and we're representatives of the Lord on the earth and we're little Christ. They were called Christians first in Antioch because they were little... That term means a little Christ. And it was not a, a complimentary term. It was a derogatory term. And, and it, it says that if you were of the world, the world would love you. The world loves its own. But because you're not of the world and I've called you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. He's telling them this so that when it comes to pass, they're not shocked and say, well, I thought it was going to be wonderful. I thought I was going to be elected mayor. You know, I thought I was going to be the school board superintendent. And I thought I was going to be governor. No, you're going to be the off-scoring of the world. Ridicule, spectacle, as a whole, okay? As a whole. And so Satan doesn't waste his ammunition on nominal Christians. He doesn't waste his ammunition on carnal Christians who blend right in or making no uh, advances against the kingdom of darkness and not a strong testimony for the Lord. He doesn't waste his ammunition on that or his attention. He's going to come against those and buffet those and smite hard up to the point that the Lord allows him to, Okay, just like in Job's life, those that are standing strong for the Lord. And so... If we're without chastisement, says in Hebrews, uh, whereof all are partakers, then are we illegitimate children. Right? Is that what he says? If you're without chastisement, which all are partakers of, all the children of God are partakers of God's chastisement, then, then we really are illegitimate. Okay? And we're not the sons of God. And so, uh, the Bible says through much tribulation, we're going to enter the kingdom of God through much tribulation. This is not depressing. This is a reality check that we understand it. 
And those 70 disciples, I think about when Jesus had 70, and I think about it all the time. He had 70 disciples. I think when He sent them out two by two, He had 70 disciples. Okay? On a little trial run, and they cast out devils, and they came back and said, even the devils are subject to us in Your name. Well, later on, He gets to preach, and it says, whoever doesn't drink of My blood, eat of My flesh, has no part of Me. He says, the words I speak, their spirit and their life. He was talking about laying down His life He's not talking about cannibalism. Okay, They didn't understand it. They didn't get it. They were offended by it. And he said, does this offend you? And he says, uh, you know, and then they left. It says they, these disciples besides the twelve left and they walked no more with him. So there came a point where they were offended. There came a point where it was too costly, too bizarre, too out of step with normal life for them. And they walked no more with the Lord. But this is the way home. Okay? And Peter nailed it on that occasion. He says, Lord, the Lord looks at the twelve. Are you going to leave also? Lord, to whom would we go? Thou hast the words of life, and we know and are sure that Thou art the Christ. Okay? You're the one. So, if, if we're living as we should, we condemn the world around us. It's a little important point. You want to put a little check mark by it. If we're living the way we should as believers, we condemn the world around us. Just through our life, through our conversation, through our countenance, through the things we do, through the things, the things we abstain from doing, everything is going to have an effect. Um, there's in the life of Christians the Holy Ghost who's holy. And that light uh, shines upon the darkness and the rebellion and the deformity of a lost world around us. It exposes that. And so we're, we're the, the uh, object of scorn and hatred for that single cause. Not that we're mean to people. We ought to be the kindest of all. It's not that we don't pay our taxes. It's not that we don't be good citizens. It's not that we don't go fight in the wars. It's not all. It's that the light of the Holy Ghost in us, really being lived out, not being suppressed and hidden so we'll fit in, but being lived out in a bold manner as God would have us to, is going to bring great uh, uh, ex exposing of the darkness that's in their lives. It's going to, and not might, maybe will, it's going to. Because God knows how to do that, all right. And as a result, we're gonna, we're gonna, the world can't endure that. They just cannot. They can repent and come along. They can't just live with it as such. You understand what I'm saying? They can't just go along with it. And so there's a real hatred that rises from wicked people back towards the godly. And the Lord actually allows that to come. In other words, sometimes the hatred that spews back out from the world and specific godless men, He lets us suffer. He lets His people suffer at the hands of ungodly people. And we say it shouldn't be that way. We just suffer at God's hands. I don't want to suffer at the hands of ungodly people. You know what I mean? But that's His way oftentimes. You know, Joseph did suffer at the hands of Potiphar. Joseph did suffer at the hands you know, uh, Daniel did suffer in, in the hands of other people. And, and so they, they were godless. 
All right, let's move on. Number four, the fourth reason that our fiery trial should not seem strange as though some strange thing has happened to us. There is an object or a purpose that God has behind it all. Very important to know that. Sometimes we might think it just pops out of nowhere. Almost like it's pointless. Well, this just caught me out of left field. Being persecuted in this way. Didn't see that coming. It just rose up out of nowhere. You know what I'm saying? It just popped up. This persecution, this hatred, this venom. And just pointless. It's just a chance. It's just a, a coincidence. It's just some weird thing that happened. And it's not. Because every hair of our head is numbered by the Lord. He's, he takes note even if a sparrow falls mm -hmm. to the ground. He knows exactly what's going to happen in your life. And He allows it up to this point, and then He doesn't allow it up any further than that point. So if something happens, He has a purpose in it. It's not causeless. It is not, and it's not baseless, and it's not purposeless. God has a purpose in it. Knowing that, just knowing that very fact helps us. Amen? Just knowing that, this master architect in heaven has a plan in it. And I don't see it. I sure don't like it. And I don't see it because He sees tomorrow and I don't. I can't see five seconds from now what's going to happen. But it brings me comfort to know that my Heavenly Father has it under control. And we need to know that. Okay? And so, He is the potter with the clay and He's using those things. They're not just out of the blue when we're suffering for Christ's sake. Alright? They're not out of the blue. The Lord's allowing it to happen. And so, think about this. How many times have you prayed, maybe secretly, I don't know about it, maybe at the altar here, maybe in your own life, in your prayer closet, <clears throat> you've prayed for a deeper walk with the Lord. You've, you've prayed for a greater power, spiritual power. You've prayed for spiritual growth in your life. Have you ever prayed that? I hope you have. Okay. Lord, grow me. I'm so pathetic right here. I need to grow in this area or in a lot of areas. I'm so far from being like Jesus. And we please help me. Please grow me. And guess what? The persecution may very well, well be God's answer to your prayer. He knows what He's doing. We thought it would be something else. We thought He would zap us and a lightning bolt would come. We'd be ten times more like Jesus than we were before the prayer started. Look at me now. This is great. Well, you know what? <clears throat> this is how He chose for it to be. And that persecution in the workplace, in your own family, among your closest friends and relatives and so forth could be the answer to your prayer or to my prayer. Grow me, Lord. Make me more like Jesus. And He sends persecution that we learn uh, to trust Him. Amen? And so, uh, He knows how to do it. And it can't be produced any other way. The Lord has chosen through the fires of affliction to refine His people. That's a Scripture. I've chosen to refine you through the fires of affliction, specifically. And so, um, even though the person doing it may be have a wicked heart. God's not going to excuse them, by the way. He'll deal with them too at a later time. You know, they'll be a lot more severe because they don't know the Lord if they don't repent. Alright? He'll deal with them as well. But it might come out of the most hateful person 
And they don't wish any good. They're not trying to build you up in the faith. They're trying to kill you. They're trying to destroy you. They're trying to ruin your reputation. They're trying to rob your joy. They're trying to uh, undercut your life. And they mean it. And they're against you and opposed to you. God knows that in their heart. And He knows your prayer that I want to grow. And He brings them into your life. He knows it. He'll deal with them. I've got to let Him deal with them. I'm not the one to deal with them about that. A judgment that will come on that. I know that the Lord of all the earth and the judge of all the earth will do right. That's what Abraham said. And so, uh, we drink the cup from God's hands. Amen? Even if it's coming from somebody wicked, we drink it as though from the Lord's hand. We take it. This cup that you give me, shall I not drink it? Jesus said. And so, we, we pass through. And the Lord allows these things to pass through all His defenses and touch us. And it's because that's the way He's chosen for it to be. To grow me. That's His answer to my prayer. Okay? And so it's refining our character and it can't be any other way. But as we're going through the fire of affliction, we also know there's somebody standing right there holding my hand. And a wicked person doesn't have that. And we're okay. The three Hebrews were okay in the fire. In fact, they were doing a lot better in the fire with the fourth man than Nebuchadnezzar was looking in the fire. They were doing way better. They didn't want to come out. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come on out of there. Because they weren't coming out. They were standing there with Jesus. And that's where they wanted to be. And there's one who sits by us and he's, he's checking our pulse and our heart rate. He's making sure the fire's not too hot. It's just what we can take. It seems like more than we can take. This is more than I've ever withstood before. And yet, I'm still taking it. It's an amazing thing. You've been there? You know what I'm talking about? I've never gone this way before. This is a new one. This trial is new. This trial is dwarfs all. If you combine all my other trials up to this point, this one surpasses them all. And yet, I didn't think I could go through something like this. And yet, God's right there holding my hand. He's saying, I've got you. I've got you. I've got you. This is His answer to our prayer for growth. And so, it's His way of eliminating the impurities and things from our life. It's just His way. Alright? Alright, next thing. We've got two more. It makes the fiery trials not strange to us. We're partakers of Christ's sufferings when we go through it. Not only did He walk this way, which we mentioned earlier, but we're a partaker of Christ's sufferings. Now, in one sense, we know very well that the sufferings of Christ were unique. When He died to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and the chose, uh, He was afflicted and smitten of God, says in Isaiah. And the Father, in that moment that's mysterious and we don't fully understand it, turned His face and Jesus says, My God, My God, why have thou forsake, hast Thou forsaken Me? There was something very unique only to Jesus in that suffering. That's His suffering. okay. But in all the other sufferings of life that He went through just being buffeted in the world, being tempted, uh, being you know just hated and scorned and rejected and tired and not being at home here and so forth, 
all those things, we definitely can be a partaker of his suffering. I'm not a partaker of his sacrificial death on the cross, ever, ever. He tread the wine press of God alone, okay? And I'm glad he did, amen? I'm not a partaker of that suffering. I'm a beneficiary of that suffering. But, uh, but we can partake of these other sufferings of God when we're surrendered fully to the Lord, when we're walking with the Lord fully. And so other sufferings, you know what? It's good to share anything with the Lord, isn't it? It's good to share anything with the Lord, even his sufferings. It's good to share that. Uh, I read this in, in a, a book, Sweet Things Are Bitter when the Lord is absent and bitter things are sweet when He is near. We want to share anything with the Lord because in that suffering, Paul wanted it, right? power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. We talk about it all the time. Why? Because it's pertinent to our lives all the time. Why? Because we suffer a lot for righteousness' sake. Not for evil doing, but for well doing. We suffer. It's good to know Christ is near and we're a partaker of His suffering. Think about this. Jesus always fled when they wanted to make Him king. And He always presented it. He presented Himself openly when they wanted to crucify Him. He didn't run. When they wanted to make Him king, He fled. When they wanted to bring Him on the cross, He just was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Because He's in the perfect will of God. There was, uh, you know the story in the Bible where David, where Absalom, Absalom God, uh, David's son usurped you know, and took over the kingdom for that brief time and just rebelled against his dad and against the king. And, and David, uh, instead of fighting his son, he just basically packs up his stuff and all those that are immediately faithful to him and he crosses the river and he's heading out of town. And he says, if the Lord's pleased to bring me back, he'll bring me back. Well, he did. Okay? But there was uh, one of David's servants, Ittai the Gittite, as the Lord liveth, he said, as David's moving out of town, and as my Lord the King liveth, surely in what place my Lord the King shall be, whether in death or life, even there also will thy servant be. He's saying, I'm going with you. I'm sticking with you. Good times or bad times. I'm going with you. Okay? And that's how it is with us walking with the Lord. And later David says to another, he says, Abide thou with me, fear not, for he that seeketh my life seeketh thy life, but with me that shall be in safeguard or in safety. So we're a partaker of his sufferings and he's a partaker of ours. We're safe and we're with the Lord. Whoever seeks your life or wants ill will towards you, they're, they're wishing that against the Lord too. They're seeking God's ill will and his death as well. You're going to be safe with God though. So stay with him. Who's ever after you is after the Lord. We are the apple of His eye. I know that's, that's Israel, but I don't believe it's far to, to stretch that the, the people of God are that. When Saul of Tarsus persecuted the church, they really did touch the Lord, right? Why are you persecuting me, Saul? They weren't just nameless Christians being uh, hauled off to prison and killed. Isn't it, is it not fit that we should follow Christ like this in His sufferings. Isn't, isn't this what the Word of God lays out? And He's our captain, so to speak. Would it be right for Him to, to faint under the weight of the cross while we're just carried along 
on little heavenly clouds playing harps all the way through this life and all the way to heaven. He, he said if, if the master is treated this way, the servant can be expected to be treated the same way. And we shouldn't think it's strange uh, when we go, if this is God's way. This is just God's way. And the last thing, y'all, that makes it not strange is we have a hope at the end. And we're to look at that. End. And when we look at the hope at the end, then it makes more sense. And encourages our hearts. Okay? The Bible says, when His glory shall be revealed, we're going to also be partakers with Him in His glory. It's not our own glory. It's the Lord's glory. The glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He allows us to be partakers of that glory. The lost man, the people that persecute, and the people that come against and hate and don't understand and, and mock and ridicule and take advantage and grind you under their heels and the Neros and the different people, they don't understand that and they're not partakers of that. But what the, what the world would think is the least nameless little peon that really is born again of the Spirit of God is going to be a partaker. When He comes, and I can tell you that's going to be a glory. Every eye's going to see Him. Every eye's going to see Him. And we will be partakers of the Lord's glory. And so His sufferings that we're going through now and us identifying with the Lord in His sufferings and experiencing some of these same sufferings, it kind of quickens our... It makes us anticipate that even more, right? That when He returns in the glory and when all this is going to end and God's going to subdue kingdoms and put everything down and come back. Maybe the rapture, you know, maybe the, the second coming when we come back with the Lord and every eye is going to behold Him and so forth. And so, uh, too much comfort in this life make, might make us forget that we're not at home here. Too much comfort in this life. It keeps stirring us up when we get too comfortable. Don't get mad. He's doing it for our good and there's a greater glory that's coming. But we need to know that. So don't get too comfortable. And He keeps us from getting too comfortable when we are. Because it makes us, we forget ourselves, we forget this isn't my home. And He wants us to remember that. So it's good that we're afflicted. Uh, it keeps us with our gaze, our, our gaze on heaven and fixed upon the Lord in His return. When He appears, we shall appear with Him in glory. Those, have, those who have been nearest the cross shall be next to the throne. Thought that was a good quote. Those that are nearest to the cross shall be next to the throne. We shall be like him and with him forever and ever. In proportion to our suffering shall be the rewards and honors of his kingdom. In proportion to our suffering, we're about to close, shall be the rewards that God bestows upon us. So think about that. Again, it's not my job to go out and look, how can I be persecuted today? How can I stir up a hornet's nest and get stomped on? That is not what we're called to do. He says, Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So you know what that means? I live godly among the church people where I know it's safe. And I live godly among lost people where I'm very well to be scorned and rejected and persecuted. I do it on Monday. I do it on Tuesday. I do it every day. All through my life. When the laws of the land change and when the law you know favorably or when the laws of the land change unfavorably towards Christianity, I live godly in Christ Jesus. Like Daniel in the kingdom, when the law was passed, can't pray to anybody for thirty days except to the king. 
Well, he opened his window like he did three times a day and faced Jerusalem and he prayed. He knew he was going to get caught. You understand the point? We lived God. He didn't say, I'm going to go see how I can get persecuted today. It came. It just came when he lived out his Christianity. And we live out our Christianity and we're compensated. The last thing is we're compensated for such sufferings uh, by the presence of the Spirit of God. And it's simply that compensated in the sense that whatever the world takes from you physically or a job or a reputation, they slander, they ridicule, gossip, throw you in prison, they take your home from you, they take your check, you know, their money from you, whatever. Whatever the world takes from you physically, they can't touch that inner man in the Holy Ghost. Christ makes up for it inwardly. So just picture it. The world's doing its worst. Coming against you. Take your job from you because they lied and slandered about you. Take your position from you. Take your whatever from you. And they're, they're buffeting the body and coming against Take your freedom and put you behind bars. And to the as that's being taken and affected, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. God is supplying that inward man, that inward man is getting stronger. They can't touch that. They can chop your head off, but they can't take that. And they can't chop your head off if God didn't let them. Okay? But if they do, that there's an inward compensation from the Lord where we're being taken from and yet being strengthened. It really is an amazing thing. Um, when we have the least human love, we have the most of God's. When father and mother forsake us, he'll pick us up, David said. When my father and mother forsake me, you're going to pick me up and take me. You understand the point? It's, it's, those things are going to come, but he keeps us. And uh, the world has no understanding of that. They don't see it. You know what the world can see? The world can see what it's doing to you and even what you've given up, so to speak, to follow Christ. Oh, they don't go to the bars and drink. They don't do this. They don't do that. They don't watch this on TV. They don't do this. They don't fight back. All these different things. The world can see that. And they see, oh, you've given up all this. But what they can never see is what you get in return from Jesus. They don't see that. They're blinded to it. We see it. And we know it. And we experience it. And so just brace yourself, so to speak, by keeping your eyes on the Lord. We're closing right here. Whatever may come your way, or is going to come our ways in, in the form of sufferings and trials and tribulations, to, to brace ourselves for it. And we are, it's, it's we're never so much like the Lord as when we're suffering and trusting in Him. And He's never so near to us I don't believe is when we're really suffering for His name's sake. We want to be so much like Him that we're actually mistaken for Him. You know, they're spewing out venom as though they're really persecuting Christ. We know we're not Jesus, but we're so much in line with Him and, and the Holy Ghost in us that uh, so near that we're when people are slinging mud at Jesus, it hits us. We get splattered by some of it. You know what I'm saying? They're coming against Christ and we're caught in the crossfire because we're hanging on to Jesus so tight. There's ways to try to figure out to escape all that, but not if we're going to be faithful to the Lord and not if we're going to be blessed and, and know the fellowship of, His, fellowship of His suffering. We're not to suffer as an evildoer. 
Let us never suffer, suffer as an evildoer, but we are absolutely to suffer as a Christian. And I'm going to close with this, this verse because we're to count it all joy. James says that. Peter says that. The Lord says that, that okay? And he says in, in Acts 5.41, when Peter and John were uh, buffeted by the council and threatened and beaten, and commanded not to preach in Jesus' name anymore, it says they departed from the presence of the council. That's the religious council that was coming against them, threatening them. Shut up. It's enough. We don't want to hear about Jesus' name anymore. We didn't want any more people being healed and people coming to know Christ and following after that way. Stop it. And it says they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. And so there was a joy in the suffering, right? And it's not unique just to Peter and John or the early church. That is for us as well. And I believe more so as we're getting close to the return of the Lord. Amen? So let's just pray. Father, we do thank You, God, that we can count it all joy when we fall into diverse uh, temptations or trials of our faith, when we're buffeted, when we suffer for, as a Christian, not for something sinful, not because we are uh, ungodly, not for wrongdoing, but we do everything we're supposed to do and still suffer at the hands of wicked men it's only because You're allowing it to sharpen our lives. It's only because You've allowed it like the fire of the furnace of affliction to refine us and to burn off the impurities that we come through and our faith would come through as pure gold tried in the furnace of affliction. God, help us not to despise the chastening of the Lord. Help us not to view it, Lord, in light of what we've even looked at tonight from Your Word as though some strange thing is, is happening to us but to rejoice. That's what Your Word tells us over and over and over again. Rejoice. We're partakers of Your suffering and we're also partakers of the glory that shall be revealed. And in the midst of our suffering, You're ever so near, God. Your very present help in trouble. Your right hand upholds us, God. Your Spirit fills us. You comfort us with Your comfort. You give us peace. You shut the mouths of lions like you did in, in Daniel's day. He was still in the lion's den, but you were there with him, God. The Hebrews were thrown in the fire, but the fire didn't burn them. And God, I thank you that you're with us, Lord. And I pray that you would strengthen us, God. I believe that we're going to see more trials in our lives. I'm not trying to put a scare into myself or to anyone else. I believe we're going to see more trials. And it may come from people close to us. It may come from the religious crowd of our day. But Lord, we're never so near to You as when we're in the midst of a, a trial. For so persecuted they the prophets that were before us. I pray to strengthen this body of believers here. Every person, the youngest child, every husband and wife and man and woman and child and young person, that You would strengthen our faith in You, God that we would have great faith and believe You and a great heart to, to trust You and allow You to do what You want to do in our lives, God. To see the end of it. Would You give us a glimpse of the glory that shall be revealed? Don't let us be afraid just to be afraid. Let us go through it with great boldness and hope and expectancy, God. 
A lot of other godly men and women have passed through that way. Let us do the same, God. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Just pray and ask God to strengthen your faith. Ask God to encourage you. If you're afraid, ask God to give you boldness. His answer will be the the Holy Spirit. It will be His presence in your life and in my life. If you haven't lived godly and tried to find a way that you could avoid persecution, repent. Because that's not the way of the Master. That's not the way of the potter. That's not the way He's chosen. And He knows what's best for your life. Repent say, God, forgive me. I've tried to disassociate myself from You at certain times. And Lord, I pray You forgive me and use me as a witness for Christ this day in which I live and all the days ahead. Thank you.